I love the order of progress in that song. I love the order of progress in that song. If you just listen to the lyrics, I don't know if you can follow it. It was pretty simple, I, I, and that's why I love this, this song. The, the song is simply entitled, Let Go. Let, let, let go. Let go. Yeah. He said, I couldn't, I couldn't fall asleep. Yeah, I couldn't. I was, I was restless. I couldn't sleep. Yeah, so much on my mind. I love these lyrics. Yeah, searching for peace. But it was peace that I couldn't find. He says, so I, I kneel down to pray, inflection point. You, you cannot change your circumstance by continuing to do the same thing you've been doing. It, it just will not happen. You can't do it. Continuing to worry over and over and over is not going to change the circumstance one iota. You gotta do something, maybe for some of us it might be something radically different, but it's gotta be something different. So the songwriter said, so I stopped worrying. I stopped worrying, I know that's hard to think of that, but I stopped worrying about how the story was gonna end. And then he said, and I let go. Now I wonder today, how many of us have the courage to let go? Stop trying to figure out tomorrow. Stop trying to figure out the next move. And just, just let go. Let God do what God's going to do in your life. I can tell you, you won't make any significant step in progress until you stop trying to figure it out. The older writers used to say, why are you trying to figure it out? But God has already worked it out. Yeah, any decisions that you have to make, God already knows the circumstances surrounding those decisions. And so I'm asking you right now to, to let it go. Let go. Let God. God bless you on that one. I appreciate that song so much. So much. There's a, there's a feeling in this room that ain't prayerful. Oh, it's not. There may be prayers in the room, but there's a feeling in the room that's afraid and skittish. And I want to make sure that we understand who's in charge in this place right now. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is in charge in this place right now you'll give yourself over to him. There's a spirit of celebration in this room. Yeah, there's a spirit of newness in this room as well. There's new marriages coming in this room. Yeah, we know about Joseph getting engaged. Yeah, you can't hold nothing on social media these days, but that's why we post it on there. Yeah, Joseph Merkinson. Bob Merkinson about to have a daughter-in-law. Yeah. Amen. It's great to Great to know that. Congratulations, Sister Merkison and Brian. Good to see you. Yeah. 
grab onto that spirit of celebration and joy, peace and stop worrying. I know there are other things going on in here too, but, but they don't win in the end. I'm giving you the cheat code. In the end, we win. In the end, Jesus is going to reign triumphant. But it all goes back to how you look at him. And so that brings me to this sermon that we have today. We've been in the sermon series entitled, Questions God Asks. And we've been concentrating primarily on Old Testament questions from God. I want us to move forward today into the New Testament and a question that's asked by Jesus. And I think that it is a pivotal question. It's found in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and it's, it's verses 13 through 16, if you will. Can, I think we're going to be reading out of the NIV version of the Bible. And the Bible says when Jesus, the, 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 the author, writes, author writes, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And verse 15 poses our question today. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you bind or you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. What an interesting conversation between Jesus. A family conversation. This was a family conversation. It's just family members are here when Jesus is talking to the disciples. And it's in an interesting place. But it's a question of eternal significance. Yeah, it's one that the answer to which holds our very future in the balance. When he asks this question, can you pretend for a moment that you are sitting there listening and that you are part of this family that's being talked to? Whether or not you belong to church right now, it's important that you understand that Jesus Christ is, in fact, posing this question to all of us. The Bible says when he came to the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, why here? Why this place? Why did Jesus wait in his ministry, walk and talk 
to come to this place. If you read the backstory, the history of this dialogue, they were in another location. And Jesus decided that he would get away, almost in retreat with the disciples. So they went to Caesarea Philippi, which is about 30 miles from where they were. They did a lot of walking, a lot of movement. And they moved about 30 miles away. He wanted to make sure that all the external distractions, all the hangers on were not around. And sometimes if you want to get all the noise out of your life, you need to get away. You need to get in retreat. And we find that out when we're growing up. And, you know, we used to pack a lot of folks in our houses and it was small spaces that we grew up in. But everybody had their own special space that they used to go find so they could get away from all that noise. Sometimes it was the bathroom. Yeah, you go in there and lock yourself in just for a little while. I want to get away from these other folks. Sometimes it was just outside, sitting on the porch or in the corner of the yard. You just need to get away from people. And when we got older, we started realizing the blessing of being able to get to some solitude. And so we find places to go. My, my special place to get away from all the noise when I was in college was Hollis Burke Frissel, which was the library. And it wasn't on the floor of the library. They used to have these stacks up on the upper floors. You could go into the stacks and there were study carols. And I would go up in there and get lost for a while while I tried to figure out the awesome question of who's Donnell gonna be one day? Trying to figure that out. You know, what, you, what are you gonna do, Donnell? And I would just sit there and study, study for sure, and ruminate on what I hoped my life would be. Can I tell you this? For all my sitting in that care, for all the days that I went there and was by myself, I never could have figured out that God was going to do for me what he has done. It never would have appeared that he would bless me the way he had. It almost seemed as comforting as that time was for me. In hindsight, it almost seems as lost time. Yeah, and I think at some point I learned for Arthur to let go and stop, as my mama used to say, trying to plan your life on paper because you can't do it. No, it's better for you to put your life in the hands of someone who can control the mechanisms of your life. And you'll save yourself a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of struggle and pain if you turn yourself over to one who's capable of doing it. I was much later in life, married with children, with a wife who was dependent upon me and working with me, and I still was trying to figure it out myself. Yeah, but thank God he came and he straightened me out. And he gave me the opportunity to do better because I stopped trying to do it by myself. And so this question that's being asked of the disciples is a question that's relevant to each one of us here today. Yeah, it does have eternal significance. Wait a minute, do you know that the answer to this question in your life determines where you spend eternity? Eternity now. Yeah, I'm not talking about a week, I'm talking about forever determines where you will, in fact, spend forever. 
That's after the Lord brings you home, before he comes back. After that time, where will we all be? But to better understand this question, the cultural context is important. Yeah. Caesarea Philippi was a region that was full of idolatry. All right, the people who lived in this region had a pagan religion. They believed in idol worshiping. They believed in the Roman Empire. They were afraid, as they should have been, of the Roman Empire, and they were so afraid of it that they believed the public relations ploy that Caesar was himself a god. And so everything they did was surrounding making Caesar the object of their worship. All of the temples they built were in devotion to Caesar, the ruler. Everything they did in terms of worship, they were worshiping as a man who happened to be in charge. All that was done was to encourage them to worship Caesar, and he received it. He received that adulation. Like, in fact, he was a god when he knew he was simply just a man and not a good man at that. Yeah. It's in this setting where everybody around you is worshiping something. They understand the necessity of worshiping something. They simply don't know where to place their faith. And they place it on the one they are afraid of. And they're afraid of Rome because Rome ruled with an iron fist. Remember now, later on, this same region, it's the same Romans that are going to crucify Jesus Christ. They're going to do so at the request of the temple leaders, but nonetheless, they made their reputation by ruling with an iron fist. And it's that man who sits on that throne that all of the people were encouraged encouraged to worship. We can put this in our current cultural context, that there are people now who worship leaders in our country, and many of them worship and follow him because they're afraid if they don't, he's going to do something negative to them. That's why they follow him, not for the hope he brings, but for the promise that if you don't support me, I'll get you. Yeah, I'll put you on blast street and I'll make sure you don't ever accomplish anything else. And so because of that fear, because of that fear, they follow and they worship him. Yeah, it's in this kind of setting that the fundamental question is who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Why does he use that terminology, the son of man? Well, he uses that terminology because that is in fact the same terminology that was used in the Old Testament when in Daniel, specifically, in the book of Daniel, when the prophet talked about God sending a Messiah to them. He used exactly the same language. And so he says, he refers to himself in that way because he knows that the disciples, knowing scripture, would understand the connection. Why does he ask the disciples? Why is it that he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am, Louise? Well, he does this because the disciples are the ones who go out when they're out and about and mingle with the people. 
And all he's saying, see, we always put these lofty notions on it. All he's saying is when y'all out and about in the crowd, who do folks say I am? Well, what are they saying about me? And the disciples say, well, when I'm down in the market, some folks say you this. I, I, and then I hear other folks say, say, say you this. Yeah, not, not, not prophetical, practical. This man is the greatest phenomenon in the country at this time. You know folk going to be talking about him. And he said, when they're talking, what are they saying? Jesus has a natural, cultural curiosity about what people are saying about him. Let me ask you this right now. When you're out and about with your friends, what do folks say about Jesus? Do they, do they talk about Jesus? Is it positive what they're saying about Jesus? And if it is, what are you saying in that context? Do you defend him when they take his name in vain? Oh, what, 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 what are you saying? Social conversation is important because it's from those social conversations that we can get to theological discussions. And those people who are not accurate in their understanding of Jesus Christ can be schooled by us. We can tell them who we know him to be if we have the courage and the knowledge to do so. But sometimes we are stopped by social norms. Sometimes we're afraid to have those conversations. We're afraid, why? Because sometimes we don't understand the Bible enough. Because we don't understand the Bible enough, we don't know how to defend anybody. Can I make it more practical for you, please? If somebody came and told me something about Reggie, I know about Reggie. They can't tell me nothing about Reggie, all right? I can defend Reggie because I know him, all right? I'm not afraid if they say something. Now, hold up. I can slow them down right there in their tracks, all right? But if I don't know Reggie, then I got to be quiet and listen because they may know something more about Reggie than I do. Let me ask you, if somebody came talking to you about your pastor, what would you say? Somebody came talking to you about Reverend Sparks and they say Reverend Sparks is a liar and a cheater. Do you just listen to that? Or are you courageous enough to stand up and say, hold on now, he might be short. <laughs> yeah, and he might be fat too, but what I'm going to tell you is this. You ain't going to call him that. Do you have the courage to defend when you hear folk? Now, I know because of what I do that my reputation is in the community. I know this. Yeah, I've had Jeremiah come and tell me how he had to cuss somebody out over me. I want to make this real to you. Jesus is just asking real questions. The question is, are you studied enough, courageous enough, faithful enough to be able to answer these questions and until you can get that information? You're going to just sit by on the wayside. And they came back and they said, some people say you're John the Baptist reincarnated. 
Yeah, that don't make sense, but that's what they said. John the Baptist was a contemporary of Jesus who had been killed by them. All right, so how can you be John the Baptist reincarnated when he your cousin and y'all about the same age? That doesn't make practical sense. But people come up with stuff, you know, that's why y'all keep seeing Tupac in the grocery store. Come on now. Or Elvis, whatever. We keep coming up with stuff that just don't, just don't make sense. Just don't make sense. Yeah, some folks say you're Elias. They call Elias' name because Elijah's Elijah, name because he was, in fact, the most well-known prophet of the Old, Old Testament. And then others called him Jeremiah. In other words, they went to a knowledge place, Fiatha, that was comfortable to them. It never would have crossed their mind that the same ones who came foretelling a savior, they were talking about a savior, it never crossed their mind that the savior might be there. It, it never crossed their mind that the one who had been predicted to come had in fact come. Even though these disciples were following him, even though they were seeing day after day a manifestation of what had been promised in scripture, he was healing the sick, he was giving blind their sight, he was feeding the multitude, it was getting bigger and better at every turn, and yet it never crossed their mind that Jesus was the man. And as Jesus is journeying to his cross soon, he wants to know, I'm in the middle of my journey, I'm almost at the end. What are folks saying about me? What are they saying? And so he reflected on the social indifference. Isn't that sad? It's just, people are just indifferent. That's the saddest thing, that people live their whole lives, and they don't even consider eternal situations. It's not even a part of their conversation. And some people weren't raised in and around the church like you and I were. But even once given some glimpse of it, it doesn't seem to move the needle in it. Can I tell you, you have to be persistent. I guarantee you if you got some friends, you don't want to see any of them miss heaven. You want all your friends and family to be there when you get there. You want every one of them to claim the eternal prize of life with Jesus Christ in heaven. And guess who has to be the one to get them there? You do. Don't leave it to the preachers. Don't, don't leave it to just the deacons to be the one to tell them it's got to be family. Yeah, that's why mamas go down on their knees every night praying for you. And daddies do the same thing. You got to be the ones covering them, teaching them, telling them on a regular basis who in fact Jesus Christ is and why he came and lived for them and died for them. That's our mission. Don't leave it over to just somebody coming to the right church. Some folk going to heaven will have never stepped in the church, never gone to any church, but they will have met a faithful believer in you and you will have convinced them that Jesus Christ is the way. Not only does there have to be some conversation from you in the social context, you need to understand that the question that Jesus Christ posed to them had uh, personal assurance when he talked to Peter. Look, he's talking to Peter. 
Does anybody here know Peter's background? Peter was the dude in the group that got on your nerve. Oh, yeah, he was. I mean, just from all the disciples, Peter was the one every time somebody said, do you know what's going on? Peter was like, I, I know. Yeah, I know. You know, does anybody know that? that? Peter said, I know. Yeah, yeah. Before all the disciples be rolling their eyes. Because he just blurt something out, and it, most time it might not be right. And so it's interesting that Jesus Christ went to Peter. You know, the Peter, you know, you know the teacher in the class when they ask a question and the same kid raised their hand in every question. And the teacher was like, no, nah, Peter, we're gonna go to somebody else today. But this time he went to Peter. He went to Peter. And he said to him, Peter. Who, who, who do folks say that I am? And, 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 and Peter, Peter, Peter got it right this time. Isn't that amazing? That you can be wrong every time. But on the most important time, you can be absolutely right. And can I tell you something? Sometimes you think the folk who have gotten the questions of life wrong all the time are always wrong. And I can tell you today, they're not. That's why you see people who have substance abuse problems and you don't pay no attention to them, right? Because they seem to have gotten the questions of life wrong about how they're supposed to live and what they're supposed to do. So you ignore them. But when they say praise the Lord, they know something you don't know, <laughs> all right? When they say if it had not been for the Lord on my side, see, you mistake my struggle for my knowledge. Yeah, you, you mistake the fact that I'm living foul, that I'm trying to get better for the fact that I don't know how to live better. The struggle is real. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. But I know that Jesus Christ is the way. I know that he's the way. I'm just trying to get there. I'm struggling. No. You need to listen to people because even a broke clock is right two times a day. You need to listen to people when they're talking and stop ignoring people. Peter gives a confession. And it's a profession of his personal assurance. Jesus was aware that he was being attacked at every level. Not just by folk in the community, but the Pharisees were making it their business to shut Jesus down. They didn't want anybody following them because they too knew that what he was speaking was scriptural. And so they didn't want anybody following him. And so they followed him and they dogged him. That's another reason why Jesus took his disciples and got away from everybody. Because he didn't want the Pharisees there dogging the conversation. And so he posed this question to them. And just before, just before, uh, 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 he and Peter's conversation started getting into the heart of it. He wanted to, them to ponder the question, who am I? He needed them to start thinking realistically because sometimes we can be victims of our environment. We start thinking like the folk around us, even though we know that might not be right. How about this? You raise your children, you tell them right from wrong, but yet when they get in the situation, they start listening to their friends. And the first thing you say is, I raised you better than that. I told you not to do this because peer influence can be so important. But peer influence doesn't stop just for kids. Adults are subject to peer influence too. 
We start listening to folk who we know don't know what they talking about. Just because we spend time with them, you have to be strong and courageous and be able to defend your situation. And so when Jesus, after they had reflected on the social indifference of the time, Jesus, after he had discussed with them this question of eternal significance, the same Jesus went in for the personal reflection that comes to each one of us. And that's when, in verse 15, Peter's response takes on personal significance. He said to him, thou art the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus Christ validated how significant this, station, this statement was from him. He said, flesh and blood. Nobody on this earth told you that, Peter. Yeah, nobody. He said, you got this directly from God because God has to prick our hearts to let us know when Jesus is real. And so if you know in your heart that Jesus Christ is real, you've been touched by God and to understand that. And so he says to him, you are now accountable, all right? If you know from God who I am, then you got to tell somebody. That's your responsibility. You have the accountability that everybody else has. I came to tell you today, y'all, if you know that Jesus is real, if you know that Jesus is the one, you too are accountable. You got to tell somebody Jesus didn't, he wasn't ambiguous in his statement to Peter. You got to share what you believe about Jesus Christ. All right? You got to share what you believe. I know he said to them, I know y'all know what folks say about me, but Jesus says, it matters to me. I want to know what you say about me. I came today to be the messenger to tell you that Jesus wants to know what you think about him. It matters what my family says. It matters how my family deals with me. What do you say about him? Are you helping folk? Are you confusing people? Are you leading by example? What are you telling folk? Every disciple in here, yeah, by a show of hands in here, how many of y'all believers? Raise your hand. Just, just show me right now. If you believe in Jesus Christ, raise your hand. Yes, I see you. You're a disciple. You are a disciple. You are in the same seat Peter was in. Yeah, you got to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. You have a personal responsibility to him. And Jesus is sitting there saying, I don't care what the world says, but it matters to me what you say about me. Have you told somebody lately about Jesus Christ? Have you had that conversation while you're talking about all the other things in life, all the other daily affairs? Is Jesus a part of the conversation? Is a personal relationship with Jesus a part of the conversation? Is it something you feel compelled to do? How did I know it was time for me to deal with the issue of preaching? Because when I was just speaking everywhere, I couldn't help but talk about Jesus in it. 
I got to a place where every speaking invitation had to have something about Jesus in it, Louise. It was strange. I, I could be talking about anything, and before long, I'm going to have to put a scripture in it. So I'm going to have to tell somebody, somebody know what I'm talking about. You got to lay something in there. The Bible says, uh, yeah, I felt compelled, and, and if I didn't put it in there, even though it had nothing to do with the core matter, folk going to know before I got out of there that Jesus said, yeah, Jeremiah said it was like fire set up in my bones. The world still rejects Jesus today, just like he did. It was always such that there were a few disciples who had to tell the story. If you're looking for a crowd to get behind you to help tell the story of Jesus, then you're looking for something that's not coming. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Don't you know that there were a few disciples in all them big praise and worship settings? All them folk were there to get the food, and they were there to see the healing, but there were just a few disciples in there who were willing to do the work. And the world is still rejecting him right now. Watch this. Jesus said this. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, he said, him will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. But whomsoever shall deny me before men, him also will I deny before my Father, which is in heaven. In other words, Jesus said, if you're on my team, I'm going to tell my daddy in heaven, you're on my team. But if you're not on my team, I'm going to tell my daddy in heaven that you're not on my team. You got to be willing. Not only are we personally accountable, we, Jesus Christ, found an affirmation in Peter's statement. And Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ. Thou art the Christ. Peter got it right. He said, you're the Christ. He didn't call him by any other prophet. He wasn't ashamed to declare it. This big fisherman who had been fishing all his life, outdoorsman. He wasn't soft by any of the standards that day. You know, he had this, this persona that was brusque. That means hard. And yet he was okay there confessing the fact that this man who was the end the opposite of what he was. Jesus is meek. Jesus is mild. He's not an outdoorsman. He had no problem telling this Jesus person, you the man, and I love you, and I'm willing to follow you wherever you go. And so there's absolutely no doubt in Peter's mind that Jesus is, in fact, the one sent from heaven to rescue and save mankind. Yeah, is that the assessment you've made? Have you taken off any preconceived notions? Are you still trying to wait for a miracle to happen before you believe in Jesus Christ? Now, because I'm here to tell you that people saw all those things being done by Jesus and they still didn't believe. They still, Judas rode with him every day. Jesus saw all the folk get fed, 
Jesus saw the people who were blind get their sight. Jesus, Judah saw the leprosy being cleansed off folk. Judah saw deaf receive their hearing. Mute people start talking. Judah saw Jesus chase demons out of a boy. Judah saw every miracle that Jesus Christ committed in front of the other disciples, and yet Judas still didn't believe in him. So just being with them every day doesn't mean you're automatically going to believe. It's a heart led conversion. Is your heart open to believing in him? Who do you say that he is? And then to make sure that Jesus understood that he was in the right place, Cass, Peter associated Jesus Christ with only those who would be able to make these things happen. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God in a place where Caesar was seen as a God, a living God by the people in the community. Peter had to make sure that Jesus Christ understood that the God we serve is not a dead God. He's not Buddha. No, no, no. He, he's, not, he's not a dead God. He's not a Pharaoh that's dead. Yeah, he's not Caesar on the throne who mistreats people, but he is, in fact, a living, living, living God. And Peter declared that Jesus Christ was his son. Yeah, I'm sure Peter couldn't envision Calvary. Still, Peter was confused about what was to come. He didn't understand that the cross stood before them. We know that because of later events. He didn't fully understand everything that was to come, but he knew that whatever was to come, Jesus Christ was the way to get there. And he was going to follow him. He was declaring the, 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 the holiness of Jesus Christ. And that's a fundamental element of our faith. Yeah, we serve the son of a living God. Yeah, the one true and living God. We serve the one who was with the Father in eternity past and chose to come here. And we're about to enter into a season in our year where we anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ. It's called Advent. And it starts now. We're in the period of time when we celebrate with expectancy Jesus Christ coming to earth in the form of a child, a baby. Yeah, that's how much we adore him and follow him. The question is, do you believe? If you're getting ready for Christmas and you're only thinking about tinsel and red and white and Santa, you're missing the core reason we have a day set aside for Christ's birth. We as believers are anticipating Jesus Christ coming to rescue us. Yeah, we know what happens after that, but let's celebrate his coming in these next few days. Paul wrote this. He said, he said, he said, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him until uh, committed unto him against that day. In other words, I believe in Jesus Christ. 
And I'm not ashamed to tell anybody uh, that I do. And I don't have to stand in a pulpit to tell anybody about Jesus Christ. Nor do you have to stand in a pulpit and tell anybody. Be courageous enough to share that Jesus Christ is who you serve. Jesus was not just a good man who died a tragic martyr's death. He was the only begotten son of Jesus Christ who was, who was clothed in flesh and he gave atonement for our sins. The fundamental question before I sit down right now is this. Not for the world, it's for you. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus for you? Who is he? Who is he? It's a question that demands an answer. And no one can answer it before you. Andrea, I know you got some multiple births there, but they can't answer for each other. Yeah, they might sense some things from each other, but it's not one of them situations where a twin can sense for the other who Jesus is. You got to decide for yourself who it is. Brothers and sisters may be close. Husbands and wives may be close. But I can't pick for Karen who Jesus is. She got to decide for herself and she's got to have the same responsibility that I have to tell, tell somebody. She's a disciple. Just like I'm a disciple. The question is how we deal with that. Yeah, a whole lot of people today will go to the history of Jesus. Yeah, they're willing to say he died and that he, I mean, he lived and he died. They may even admit that he performed miracles and, and he was crucified on a Roman cross. But what they failed to connect is that there was a reason why he did all those things. They want to put him in history like Rembrandt or George Washington or, or Lincoln. What they will not accept is that Jesus came for a, high, a higher cause. His cause was eternal life for you and I. He did all those things so that you and I might get our lives right with the true and living God. That's what separates us. So who is he to you? Who is he to you? He's my savior. Yeah, he's my savior. And in him do I trust. And place all my eternal hope and expectation on. And I love him. And I offer him to you. I offer him to you for the same cause. To save you to eternal life. If you've never accepted the invitation of, that he gives, today is the day you ought to accept it. Now is the time that you then can answer the question, I know who Jesus is to me. He's my savior. Not only do I want you to accept him as your savior, I also extend to you the invitation to be a part of this church fellowship. If you're here today, the invitation is